What is good, everyone? This is your host, Deanna Radulescu with Label Free Podcast. Live your best life. You must live label free. I'm super, super excited. My next guest is joining us all the way from Taiwan. So he, it's late for him, early for me right now. He is a specialist in emotional intelligence. Please welcome Daniel Tolson. Daniel, thank you for joining us today for me. <laughs> My <laughs> can you, pleasure. Can you please My tell pleasure. the audience? Pardon? I'll give you a nice Taiwanese introduction. Ni hao. Oh, there we go. What does that mean? It means hello. My name's Daniel, and that's all the Chinese I know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, can you please tell the audience a little bit about your background? Because you have a very vast background, and you're and it's very inspiring. Your story. Well, I remember at school the reports used to come home. Daniel doesn't try hard enough. If you only paid attention, he'd be a good student. And uh, eventually, the teachers just kind of convinced me that I was stupid and they'd say, say to me, you know, you're not going to succeed. And uh, after probably about hearing that for about four or five years, I really uh, believed that that was going to be the case. So I remember leaving school one day and the teachers must have told me I was stupid. So I went and stood next to the road and I thought, if I'm stupid, I may as well make some space for everybody else. So I'm watching the cars come past left and right, left and right. And I thought, I'm just going to jump out in front of one of the cars. Oh my goodness. So I uh, launched myself off the side of the road in front of the next coming car, and the car stopped. <laughs> I thought, well, that's what you got for that. <laughs> what happened there? Now, the teachers uh, were probably right. I was a bit stupid. I jumped in front of a car at a crossing where all the cars have to stop. <laughs> and I remember the lady's uh, face who looked at me. She looked at me, and she stopped. She was driving her Volvo, you know, super safe car. She stopped in time, and she looked at me, and she waved. Now, probably for the next uh, 12 years, I used to see this woman every single day and ended up taking her daughter to the uh, debutante ball, which is like the prom ball. So it was like a daily reminder that, yes, I am worthy and there is space for me. So that was happening for me. And what led to that was I was diagnosed with linear sequential learning disability. And so I had visual impairments. I was tone deaf. I could see the words on the board, but I couldn't process words from the board down to the paper. And then the words that I did get on the paper, when I read them out, it was all this jumbled mess. Yeah. So the teachers eventually uh, encouraged my parents to get me some remedial therapy, which lasted for five years. Uh, they found out I had twisted spine, twisted hips. The uh, platelets in the cranium were pushing down on the left and right hemisphere of the brain, which was causing a lot of pressure, which caused uh, nosebleeds. I had collapsed bronchioles. Uh, my legs would collapse when I'd walk. I was oh, just a mess. Wow. How so, old were you? How old were you when this was... That was probably happening since uh, primary school. So I was diagnosed at age 11, Okay. Uh, but I was in remedial therapy till age uh, 16. And then I got Epstein-Barr virus chronic fatigue. <laughs> and it just that's kept getting weird. worse. That's tough. That's tough to be uh, diagnosed with all, the thing, all those things at a young age. Like, how did you cope with all that? Well, um, I knew, I knew I was different. And I don't think different for me was bad at that stage because although I think at this stage you kind of want to fit in, I'd kind of uh, been really good at reading people and I kind of sussed out the other people at school. And although they were, they were very nice people, I just didn't want to be like them. So I was very much introverted. I decided I don't want to be a copycat. I don't want to be another next one of those people. Yeah. I wanted to be just me, but I had to figure out a way to be me without being called weird. And that was the hard part. So I just had to uh, create that unique personality. And I really found my personality in sports. So I could express myself in sports, which was a real blessing for me. 
That's, that's amazing. And so um, as you kind of got over your Epstein-Barr, I mean, you, you get over that, right? Is that something you can get over and cure? You, you get it for life. The Epstein-Barr oh. virus, you get it for life. So for me, what was happening then was you get a bit of a compromised immune system and it ends up with chronic fatigue. So I could sleep 15, 16, 17 hours and I'd wake up and I'd be tired. And I've got this memory and I remember it so clearly. My parents put my mattress in the lounge room and we had a sunken lounge room. So you walk down a couple of steps and then the TV was in there. So I could just lay down there during the day. It was in front of the fireplace. They could go to work. And I remember my head hanging off the back of the bed and all I could see was the kitchen, but everything was upside down. And I was thinking to myself, gee, I'd love to move my head right now because everything's upside down but I didn't even have the energy to lift my head up off the bed. So it just draped down the back. And I just remember looking at everything upside down. Yeah. So that kicked me in the pants for a while. And then as I got older, I would have um, glandular fever. I'd get tonsillitis uh, five and six and seven times a year. And then sometimes even, you know, just uh, last year, I got a real kick and uh, of it. And it came back and for about 90 days, I had to go on a 90 day reset and I went back to sleeping about uh, 10 to 12 hours a day. So I'd get up, I'd go to work, I'd go go to bed, sleep from 8 8, 8 p.m. till 8 a.m., get up, go to work, (laughs) go back to bed. Wow, that's tough. It does come back every now and then. But um, if I can manage my mental and emotional health really well, it doesn't seem to be a problem. Yeah. And that's the key right there. And so Kat, let's kind of get into your story because it's, um, you know, you, you became a top 1% in real estate because your uncle had um, kind of coached you along the way to allow you to achieve that success. Then you became an, an, an Australian wakeboarder and you were top the first three times, the champion three times. Three times state champion and then Australian champion. Okay. So that, what was that like? So how did you manage that with everything, like with your health? Because that's a, that's a big deal. So when I was younger, I remember my bronchial tubes had collapsed. So I used to take all these asthma puffers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then you get these big ones that are about the size of a football and you stick the puffer in the end and you, you suck it in and make sure it goes right down in your lungs. I used to take that and uh, I'd have to do swimming lessons. So my grandfather would throw me in his pool in the middle of winter and be freezing cold and I'd just have to learn how to swim. Yeah. So from swimming, uh, we still did water sports and uh, we were water skiing from about age five. And then wakeboarding became popular probably when I was about 12 or 13. So from uh, after school, I'd go wakeboarding and I'd train. Dad bought a boat. My brother and I would compete against each other. And I would have this really good skill where I could watch other people do a trick and then coach others how to do it. So I couldn't necessarily do these tricks myself, but I could watch it. And I could break it down into maybe three or five steps. And I'd say to other people, if you do these three steps, you'll land this trick. Sure. And so the guys that I was riding with all become Australian champions. I started riding with world champions and I could teach them to do tricks that I couldn't do. Wow. And so after I watched them, I eventually learned it. Uh, I became a three-time state champion athlete. I was then in the top 10 in the world and competed at extreme games. And then after nine years of failure, um, two major knee reconstructions, uh, six guys tried to kill me after I bounced back from all these broken bones. <laughs> after nine yeah. years, I eventually become the Australian champion. And it was a big thing for me because 
I'd been through so many operations yeah. uh, during that nine-year period, and I eventually got the goal. But it was learning resilience, and it wasn't so much about getting the trophy and the title, but it's what I learned about myself and how much pain you can endure and how many times you can fall down and get back up and then eventually get the victory. And that were my big takeaways from that. Absolutely. I mean, I, I can totally relate. I mean, sometimes, you know, you got to embrace the pain, embrace the, the hardship, because that's where the growth happens. And like, that's what I've experienced in my own life, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy that now I'm kind of over a lot of the hardship. And I, I, it sounds like you are as well, but like during, and I can look back and be thankful and grateful that I just embraced those hard times and just kind of like powered my way through and just be resilient and determined and focused. And these are all skills that, you know, when people are down and out, they've got to really like, you know, kind of hone in on and just look like there is light at the end of the tunnel. It's going to be there, but you're going through this for a reason to, uh, to teach yourself some lessons that you can take with you lightly through the rest of your life. Support for label free podcast is brought to you by manscaped who is the best in men's below the waist grooming. Now, ladies, you can use this too. We're all inclusive here. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. And now we're going to have the ladies too, because come on, ladies, let's be real. We have an exclusive offer for my listeners, 20% off plus free shipping with the code labelfree20 at manscaped.com. So thank you, Manscaped, for your support. And everybody is welcome to purchase with my code. So in 2010, at the peak of your career, so after you were a wakeboarder, you were uh, co-leading 1,700 cabin crews, and you launched your own business, and you built a global business that impacted more than 15,000 biz- 15, business people. So can you tell us a little bit now, like what's brought you to where you are today? So in 2007, I had a collapsed business. Uh, by 2008, uh, with no education because I couldn't finish school, I didn't get a degree, I ended up becoming a traffic controller, and we call him a lollipop man. And you stand on construction sites and you've got a sign yeah. on one side yeah. that says stop and the other side said slow. Yeah. And in 2008, my life felt like it had stopped. Everything was going slow. And I was looking at my mates and thinking, they've all got million-dollar businesses. They've become millionaires. They've found their thing. They've found their flow. And here am I directing, I'm flow, I'm directing the flow of traffic. Right, yeah. <laughs> and my life's a mess. And I thought to myself, this was kind of all the years of going without formal education had come to a tipping point where I'd been an entrepreneur, but because of the situation, I'd lost my money. I'd lost my job. I had to reinvent myself. And the only thing I could do at that stage was to become a traffic controller and a builder's laborer. And so I remember one afternoon I was driving across the Sydney Harbour Bridge and I looked up and I saw this beautiful white building and across the top it said Emirates. Now, I'd just been in Dubai six months ago when I lost my business. My business had collapsed. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to go become cabin crew. So I went down to the news agency when they still sold newspapers. And I bought a newspaper and it said Emirates is recruiting cabin crew. So I drove home, which was about 60 kilometers away, got a haircut, (laughs) rang Emirates. I said, I'm available for this interview. They said, well, it's in two weeks time. Can you make it? And I said, absolutely. So I went back down there, blitzed the interview got straight back to Dubai uh, within about six weeks. So about six weeks later, I'm now living in Dubai. I've got this great job with Emirates Airline. And then in 2009, uh, I was on a flight from Dubai to Johannesburg. And I met my wife on that flight. She was also cabin crew 
with Emirates oh, Airline. Okay. So we met. And then it was probably within about six months, uh, I got a phone call at about four o'clock in the morning. And I used to be in peer support. So if there was an accident on the aircraft, if there was a death, I would debrief the cabin crew, I'd debrief the customers, I'd debrief the flight deck. So the phone rang at four o'clock in the morning and the duty controller said, Daniel, there's been an accident on the aircraft. This is not a duty call. Wow. And I thought to myself, I said, what does that mean? They said, it's your fiance. <gasps> oh, no. There's been an accident. So I went down to the uh, the hospital. There she is in a cast from her ankle to her hip, had an accident on the aircraft. And then she's in rehabilitation and surgeries for the next two and a half years. Oh, my gosh. So just as we start to get our lives together, start our life together, she's had a major accident, which resulted in her losing her job, losing her income. Uh, after two and a half years and three major surgeries, she finally fell pregnant and then she lost her job at four months pregnant. And then we come close to miscarrying three times. Oh, wow. So through all of that, uh, I'm now co-leading a team of 17,500 cabin crew. But for two and a half years, the company's been really nice in giving me time off, but I've got no holidays. And yeah. I know that I'm going to miss the birth of my daughter. Yeah. And so I had to uh, had to make a choice. And I decided to... Uh, end my career to be there for the birth of my daughter. <laughs> so we'd both oh. gone from having these wild life experiences to having no jobs, no income. Our daughter was born, happy, happy time of our life. But a year later, we're on social security. We've got no money, nothing's working, and uh, we're just at rock bottom. So we went on that roller coaster ride, and the worst of it was being on social security. Yeah, that's, that's hard. So after my late husband passed, I, you know, I had to go to the food pantry and I was, you know, I was living below poverty. It was very tough. So, and it was like, so it's so, it's such a, a hit to your, your ego, your self-esteem. You just feel so low, 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 low. And I can relate. I mean, but your wife sounds like she's incredibly resilient as well. Like the two of you are like the taking on the world as it comes, like, bring it. We got you. <laughs> what else you got? Give us a little bit more salt for these wounds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so now you are a specialist in emotional intelligence and you're a coach today. So through all this hardship, the up and ups and downs, the success, the failures, you know, having children, your wife be going through that terrible experience. Tell us about what you're doing today and the impact that you're having on the world. Well, right at that time of the accident, I'd been studying psychology. So I thought to myself, what can I do for the rest of my life? What's something that as I grow older, I can become more valuable? Because I think a lot of the jobs we do, the older we get, the less valuable we become. And we get to the end of our life and we're worth nothing. Yep. Where I'm looking out there going, I want to be more valuable. So I started to study behavioral psychology. And I was reading books flat out. I, I'd read hundreds of books every single year. And then when my wife had the accident, uh, I remember being on a long trip. And I used to be on these long trips. And they could go for about nine days. I'd go from Dubai to Singapore to Brisbane, I'd go across to New Zealand. And then eventually nine days later, I'd come back to Dubai. And I walked home, I come home one night, late one evening, I'm in my uh, work uniform, I've got my cabin bag and my suitcase, walk in, cat meets me at the door, like all good cats do, <laughs> looking around, where's the wife? Kitchen light on. So I walk into the kitchen and there's my wife with a knife in her hand. And she's ready to end her life <gasps> because of the mental and emotional pain that she's been in. 
So we tried to get help. We tried to get assistance. But in Dubai at that time, if you mention the word suicide, they will take you and they'll put you in one of those nice padded, comfortable rooms Yeah. and leave you there. So you can't mention it or you couldn't mention it at that time because they didn't have the mental health plans in place. So I did the best of my ability to encourage the company to get her back to her home country to get some really good care. And eventually, with a lot of pleading and a lot of begging, we got her out of the country and she went and got the right help. So during that experience, I said to myself, if all of this psychology stuff works, if all of this stuff that I'm studying in emotional intelligence coaching works, then my wife can be my best case study. So for the following couple of years, I'm using all of my skills just to try to keep her spirit up to keep her thoughts in the right place, to keep her feeling better. And eventually she started to come to a turning point where she really started to change the way she thought and she felt about herself, started to get a lot of enjoyment back into life. She had a long road ahead and it probably took her about five years to six years to really rehabilitate. But the best part of it was a lot of the skills I'd learned, I was able to use with her. So after using them with my wife and seeing this transformation from somebody who's about to end their life to turning around now living their best life, I thought to myself, there's got to be another million people out there like her. There's got to be another million blokes like me who are going through the same thing. Yeah. And we can really help them. And so that's how my business started. It started out from me helping myself. I was trying to answer my own questions. Why did my life go in the wrong direction? Why have I had all these constant failures? Why do I have all these fears, these doubts, these limiting beliefs? You know, there's got to be an answer to it. And I found the answer and it worked for me. And then I gave the answers to my wife and it worked for her. And we thought, why don't we help other people? And so today it's uh, 17,000 people we've had through our live events. And uh, and, and the best part about it is so many women come to our our events and they get pregnant. Not not from anything that I've done. (laughs) But because they've found, be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> they've found hope, they've got back on the path yeah. and they've got healthy again. And men coming in and, you know, a lot of men, they're focused on their careers and I've seen men double their income inside of 90 days. I've seen women uh, with uh, their husbands who have stayed at home raising their four children have multiple pay rises and multiple promotions in one year. So it's nice to see what happens once people become emotionally intelligent. Yeah, I think that's a power, a powerful thing because I don't think a lot of people really recognize that and are aware of that somewhere where they're lacking, you know, and I'm sure like myself, I'm lacking too, you know, I could probably learn some things, but can you talk to us a little bit about like how you allow people to get to that emotional intelligence level? So do you do, you say you have these live events, but do you do one-on-one coaching as well? I do. I do one-to-one coaching. However, at a one-to-one level, I can't hit my impact goal fast enough. Mm-hmm. My goal is to impact a million lives. And if I do it at one at a time, <laughs> I might have to difficult. come back for a couple more <laughs> lifetimes. So what enables me to do it with groups today, um, I, I have actually hypnotized groups of up to 1,300 people wow. at a time. So what I've learned is that if I can do it with one person, I can do it with many. So before people come to my events, I run an event called 100X DNA Masterclass, and I get all of my participants to complete a scientific report before they come. And what it does is it shows me their fears, what holds them back. It shows me their strengths, their weaknesses. It shows me what drives them, what motivates them. And it also shows me all the skills that they've developed and they haven't developed yet. 
So when they come in, what I say is let's trust in science. And the reason why I say trust in science is because the latest statistics show that 95% of the population claim to be emotionally intelligent, yet only 10 to 15% are. So using my scientific reports, I can make the invisible visible. They can see themselves and they go, oh my gosh, that is so me. That describes me perfectly. And what comes along with their behaviors is their fears. So if they can learn about their behaviors, they can also learn to overcome certain fears and limiting beliefs. So what happens with this science, it can project them 10, 15 years ahead of everybody else because they get so much awareness so fast. Yeah. And then over three days, I hypnotize them. I put them in trance. I take them out of trance. I get them to face their limiting beliefs, their doubts, their fears. And over a three-day period, they end up with what's called an emotionally clear state. They go and they feel fantastic. And, And the number one thing that all of us are looking for is peace of mind. And peace of mind is being free from those mental and emotional interferences. Yeah. Wow. That is amazing. So how often do you have these events? I hold the event every 90 days. So last year we had 2,222 students through this. And we had people who are between jobs because of COVID-19. We've had university professors. One professor said to me, Daniel, I have taken 115 different personality profiles because I've been trying to figure out who I am. He's a doctor. And he said, this one that I did with you was so accurate that I learned more about myself in three days than I've done in 20 years at university. Wow. That's so that's powerful. Doctors and lawyers and nurses, and business owners, people with careers, and they're all coming because they want peace of mind. And really we say they just want to unleash their potential. Yeah. So every love- 90 days. I love that. And so all that hardship that you went through and creating all that resilience within yourself really brought you to a place to help other people. And really that's like, at the end of the day, we're all, we should all look at that. How can we serve others? You know, because when we come from that, that place in our hearts and, you know, that's our mission, our impact becomes so much stronger and so much, and our reach becomes so much bigger. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that's why I started the podcast, because I wanted to reach more people. Like, let's in, in, inspire people to be better, to improve their lives. Like, like at your stories and a touch, I, one person, which will probably like domino effect until more, you know, I mean, that's just, that's what we're here for, right? <laughs> 100%. And, and, and I know that feeling of feeling stuck yeah. and not knowing what to do next. And one of the things about being a coach is that we can be so vulnerable. I'm happy to talk to them about the amount of times that I've fallen over, the amount of bruises that I've got, the amount of bones that I've broken, all the emotional challenges that I've had. And I can talk to them at a level that most people can't talk to them at because that's what our job is as a coach. It's to be vulnerable. I've got friends who are psychologists, but their job's very different from a coach. We're future focused as a coach. We say it doesn't matter where you're coming from. All that matters is where you're going. We know today that only 15% of our motivation comes from the past and fully 85% comes from the future. And it's the job of the coach to get them focused on their future. And if you just focus on your future, the body starts to activate different neurotransmitters. It releases serotonin into the bloodstream. It releases dopamine. It, It releases adrenaline. And if you have those three neurotransmitters going around through the body, you become numb to all of those old emotional pains. And so my job is to get people focused on where they're going. 
And what we say is you become what you think about most of the time. And if you think about your goals, you become your goals. If you think about a beautiful future, then you have a beautiful future. So that's where I'm taking my people, to that promised land. <laughs> that's where we're that. going. Where can people, as we're getting out, we actually pass up the time, but that's okay. I love the conversation. Where can people reach you, find you, connect with you if they are moved by your story and what you do? Every Monday, my time, 8 p.m., which is a Sunday night in the United States, I run a masterclass and it's called Unleashed Masterclass. And what I'm showing you is how to overcome these fears, these doubts and their limiting beliefs. So my website is Unleashed masterclass.com unleashedmasterclass.com every monday night i run a free training and i show you how to overcome those fears doubts and limiting beliefs my goodness i think i might have to jump into one of those <laughs> i'll give you a vip seat right at the front of the digital room Woo, yeah i love it I, you know anyway any way i can improve myself and unleash more of what's inside of me to become the best better version of myself i'm in I'm all about it. So I'm going to put all those links in the show notes, you guys. So don't hesitate to reach out to Daniel. He is also on Instagram and Facebook, all that stuff. So go check him out on all those as well. Um, Daniel, before we say goodbye, I always like to ask for any last words of wisdom or advice that you'd like to leave with the audience. The best thing that I've learned over the years is say it how you want it. If you want to be rich, say, I want to be rich. If you want to fall in love, say, I want to fall in love. Don't say, I don't want to get rejected. Say yeah. it how you want it. Say, I want to be loved. I want to give love. Say it how you want it. Yes, I love that. Thank you so much for being a guest and sharing your story. I'm, I'm truly was moved by hearing all of it, all the ups and downs. And it is a great example of how people, how we as human beings can be resilient and get through so much as long as we have faith and we continue to you know, keep moving forward. So thank you again. Please keep us posted on any, any new, if you have a book that comes out, I feel like you probably would be writing a book soon or, or something like that. <laughs> I've got one coming out this week, three days away. There you go. Okay. <laughs> well, let me know, have your assistant let, tell me, and I will put that link in there too when I, when I release this. So thanks uh, again for, for sharing your story. You guys, this is your host, Deanna Radulescu with Label Free Podcast. Live your best life. You must live label free. Please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, share, comment, all those good things. And I'll be back soon with more dynamic guests.